Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technologies. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikuljohn. And we're your hosts of the show. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Shrikar Kosamachu, CEO and founder of Renaissance MedTech. Shrikar, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. You were part of Impact Cohort 3, our, our sponsor, Hologic, and you came across to Boston uh, I think it was about seven or eight months ago now. So delighted to see you again. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard and Kyle, for having me today. I'm really excited to share uh, NASA's story today. Amazing. So let's kick things off. Tell us whereabouts in the world are you? And why don't you share a little bit of your background as well, please? Yeah, uh, I'm joining from Bangalore, India today uh, and a bright summer. Uh, it's also known as the Silicon Valley of the East. Uh, so... During my uh, school days, I was always fascinated about medicine. Uh, and during my holidays time, I used to spend quite a lot of lot with my uncle, who was training in medicine during that time. So my holiday time was going and spending time with him. But during my college days, I uh, developed interest in computer science and programming. So I picked up computer science as my major uh, during my college days. Uh, but destiny had its own turn for me. Uh, medicine and computer science came together. So that's when uh, I, my first job was in Siemens. Uh, I joined as a software engineer there and then went on to work with Philips uh, and spent all, almost about 15 years with both of these companies together. That was my background in medical devices. A fantastic foundation and, and really bringing that technical skills background to the table. So you've had this incredible journey uh you've been inspired to take it to that next level what's this the big problem you're trying to solve uh, and what's kind of led you to this point sure so uh, as as i was working at uh, philip one of our uh, other team which was working was basically in israel so what it meant was i used to frequently travel to israel spend spend quite a time there understand the ecosystem there and also work with the team there. During my time at uh, Israel, that's when I got a chance to spend uh, time with a lot of medtech serial entrepreneurs there. I was really fascinated about their journey uh, and also the kind of impact which they were creating. What I realized being in the larger organization, though it gives you a great foundation, uh, is you generally work with incremental innovation. So that's where I saw the kind of activities which these guys were doing in the medtech, specifically in the startup space, was actually revolutionary and like leapfrog innovation. I was quite fascinated about it. And as I was spending more and more time, I realized uh, maybe I should really explore entrepreneurship as a way to leapfrog innovation. Um, during this time, I understood about something called Stanford Biodesign Engineering Process, which is, again, a scientific way of identifying unmet needs. Uh, when I came back from my short stint at Israel, uh, I took a sabbatical at my work at Philips uh, to explore uh, what really unmet need which I need to solve. Uh, so that's when I spent almost about six months at various uh, hospital systems. Uh, in India, uh, there are public-run hospitals which have limited resources uh, because it's funded by the state. 
but there are this really advanced hospital systems run by the private family uh, hospitals and groups uh, which have the best ecosystem so during this time uh, i actually met a uh, woman who was like about 35 years uh, who has severe symptoms and problems associated with uh, the post surgical complications so that's when i started uh, understanding the space and trying to address what really uh, she's going through that's when i understood she had a clinical condition called uterine fibroids uh, and she had some really suboptimal outcomes from the surgery uh, so then i uh, went through her entire journey of uh, what um, the problem she had and the kind of solutions which uh, she was trying to uh, and uh, go through it so that's that was the genesis in which uh, i got to know about a problem called uterine fibroids and what what we are working on is a treatment an alternative to a traditional surgical treatment for uterine fibroids you know that's really interesting shrikar and i you know was really fascinated too i'd love to talk more about that journey that that woman went on. So what was that journey like? What were the type of treatments she was going through and why wasn't it working? And how did that, you know, really open your eyes to just identifying a different way to treat uterine fibroids? Sure. Uh, so this lady was a 35 year old, very active in her professional career and had about two kids. Um, so uh, she she used to frequently miss her work uh, like every month on month she used to frequently miss her work and then uh, she underwent a surgery called hysterectomy which is removal of uterus mm. uh, and unfortunately she uh, had some complications around the uh, hysterectomy procedure and she was there in the hospital for almost about a week uh, and she was not able to support the family and other things so when I really went through her journey, so she had uh, uterine fibroids for almost four years. Uh, and like the general symptoms which a patient with uterine fibroids would have is prolonged and heavy menstrual ble ble bleeding, uh, which is generally a very taboo aspect uh, in the society. Mm -hmm. So because she was so, uh, she had so much of prolonged menstruation, so she turned out to be anemic and she was not able to go back, go to her work. So that's how she used to miss uh, the visits. And she was suggested for a surgery a few years back, uh, but just that the current solution itself is so invasive in nature. And just imagine either you or uh, your loved ones having to go and uterus removal surgery in an age of 35, which is like, uh, which is like really, really unfortunate. So she had to just postpone the surgery, bear with the symptoms, mm. uh, just manage with it. Uh, at one stage, the symptoms became really, really worse that she had to undergo the surgery. And, so, and that's a hysterectomy surgery? Yes, that's and, and now And now, now a hysterectomy, isn't that, you know, that's the removal of the uterus. So now, unfortunately, at that point, when you make that decision, you know, you're not able to you know, produce offspring, have children. Uh, is that correct? That's that's absolutely right. And another thing you touched on there, I mean, I guess what I wanted to highlight was just this the taboo nature of talking yeah. about this type of disease mm. because the frequency is actually incredibly high. Uh, and whilst most women can live with the condition quite comfortably, there's still still a, a huge frequency 
of a high level of pain and discomfort that gets caused. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you brought it up, Richard. Uh, that's exactly, I, when I really heard a story and I was like really moved by it. So then when I, when I went and uh, spoke to my mother and my aunt about it, I realized that they do have fibroids. In fact, my mother had fibroid and my aunt also had a fibroid and my, uh, my mother was able to bear the symptoms and she could just uh, prolong it. But my aunt also underwent an hysterectomy at a very early age of less than 40 years. So, and we were never told about it in the family and we never had it in our family discussions. So that's when I realized it's such a silent health problem and it's such a prevalent. One in four women have fibroids and spe specifically in communities of Latin American and also in Afro-Asian community, it's much more. And it's not specific to any particular geography. It is spread across. Uh, and when I heard more and more about it, I was really moved by what fibroids as such and the impact it's creating on women's health. And there's a very beautiful uh, uh, publication which is done by a scientist who has done research in the public space. Uh, they, she clearly told that it's such a silent problem, the impact of it is much bigger than breast and cervical cancer. Generally, when we think about women's health, uh, it is about, say, breast cancer or a cervical cancer. But uterine fibroid, the impact of it is much, much, much significant than both of these problems. Yeah, and again, there's this whole timescale of silent suffering. And of course, again, that ultimate you know, last resort is, is removing the uterus, but the frequency that that occurs, I mean, I think it's nearly half of all uterus removals are due to uterine fibroids. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in US alone, about 200,000 surgeries are done just for uterine fibroids, uh, the uterus removal is done, uh, which is really unfortunate where as we advance towards the technology, but still we rely on, say, like very uh, traditional surgical methods of removing the uterus. It was really, really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. Well, Kyle, in, I could understand in, why yeah. he's inspired. I mean, like, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of waiting to hear now what that next thing is coming to the market. Well, I was just going to say, Richard, that's exactly why Nessa is here, because, you know, we want to hear now about your technology and how it's in improving outcomes and, you know, changing the game in this area. Right. So it was very clear to us that as if, uh, woman, as a lady or a woman who undergoes diagnosis of fibroids, the literature itself says that they wait almost till 3.6 years to seek a surgical intervention and seek symptomatic relief. So the whole idea of, for us as we were starting to work on it was to figure out a way that let's uh, develop a solution which is least invasive so that you, uh, and also you have very uh, great outcomes of the procedure so that they don't have to go through the surgical procedure. So what we have developed at NASA is a technology called GUIDE. Uh, what it means is uh, it is a completely no scar, no cut. Uh, the procedure uh, time is just about 50% compared to the existing surgical procedure. The recovery time for a procedure like is, is just about two days compared to six to eight weeks of a traditional surgical procedure. And very, very importantly, the uterus is preserved. So that's what we are developing. Uh, and the way we are developing the technology to realize all of this is, 
So generally, uh, any patient who has uterine fibroids is diagnosed with something called ultrasound, where you know uh, the fibroids. What we have developed is a technology which actually sits on top of the ultrasound, which is like a software module, which actually takes this ultrasound images, generates a 3D rendered model of the uh, uterus and exact location of the fibroid and the volume of the fibroid which is also which we coined that as a GPS of the fibroids. It tells you where exactly the fibroids are. And then we have uh, a technology called uh, guidance system, which actually places through the natural orifice of the system uh, of the patient, which means there is no cut, there is no suture. You go to that exact location of the fibroid, and then we just deliver heat energy to the fibroid. And over a period of time, the fibroid reduces in size. So that's really interesting, Shikar. So essentially, you you locate the fibroid using your technology, uh, which is an ultrasound type of technology, and then you deliver that energy to the fibroid. And you know what happens to that fibroid? It, it kind of, I guess, what um, you cook it in a way, and then it what naturally passes through the body or dissolves. Is that how it goes? Yeah. So uh, what happens is, as you heat up the fibroid, it gets necrosed. That means the blood supply to the fibroid stop and it necrosis over a period of time and the tumor reduces in size. Wow. Okay. And it very impressive. I mean, Richard, we've seen um, a number of minimally invasive technologies, especially coming through the impact program. And I think what's so unique uh, about Shrikar is that that energy driven, that energy based technology using energy therapy to treat uh, these patients in a minimally invasive, you know, uh, manner, no, no incision too, which is, um, you know, even more impressive. Absolutely, Kyle. It looks like you're raising the bar on multiple levels. So tell us a little bit more about the recovery process. Is that then, you know, are they ready to go back to work the following day or what does that look like for the patients? Right. So by the way, we coined this technology as micro-invasive. So I think we have started to move from open to micro-invasive, um, minimally invasive to micro-invasive. So we coined our technology as a micro-invasive technology. So the recovery time here, so by the way, as the procedure time uh, here is generally 50% uh, of the traditional surgical procedure. So the uh, the, uh, the hospital resources which you use or uh, the physician time to do the procedure is significantly lesser. So after this procedure, the patient can go back on the same day and we can do the procedure in an ambulatory setup. You don't need a, uh, like an operation theater to the, do the setup or uh, do the procedure. Um, as the patient uh, goes through the procedure, the patient goes back on the same day. In a couple of days, they get back to normal work and Within a week, they can get to normal physical uh, activities as well, uh, which in case of a general uh, traditional surgical procedure, it's uh, suggests at least like few weeks before they get back to normal life. And what about the what about the pain too? Like, at, at what point will the patient start if they're experiencing pain from the fibroids? At what point does that pain maybe start to subside? Right. So here, generally, the patients uh, who present with fibroids are uh, uh, are someone who have uh, like uh, with prolonged menstruation. That's the most common one. Okay. So what we are trying to tell is when we reduce the size of the fibroids within at least two three menstruation cycles, uh, their symptoms would significantly reduce. Fantastic. 
Amazing. And I'm sure going on this journey, it's not been without its challenges. So maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the problems you've had to overcome and whether that's from a funding aspect or the technical or scientific aspects. Right. So I think uh, for us, um, uh, yeah, for any startup founder, if you speak, a uh, fundraising would be on the top of the list. Uh, so, but I think for us, uh, it was more about uh, uh, the technology, what we are building, how do we really differentiate from the existing technology? How do we uh, uh, really build the technology in perspective with keeping the patient as a center? So generally what I realized when I started off was, and I being an engineer, we always concentrate on the technology front. But over a period of time, as I was slowly uh, developing various generations of the technologies, you need to keep always the patient as the center, make sure that you bring the right value value proposition to the patient, and also keeping all the stakeholders uh, in tandem. Uh, so keeping the regulator, keeping the payer, keeping the hospital system uh, as, uh, as the other paradigms. So I think for us, the challenge was, and uh, first trying to understand the regulatory pathway, which was quite okay. Uh, the other thing, definitely, we being an OUS company, understanding the payer aspect, what it really takes, how do we really bring in the value proposition there, was a very important aspect where we spent quite a bit of time there. I think one very key thing is for any technology as we are building, you need to keep the patient as the center. Uh, without that, you would really uh, miss out on the, uh, the impact which you would be creating uh, in the space. Absolutely. Yeah. And what about, what about, you know, you're obviously building um, what sounds to be maybe a, a fairly sophisticated piece of hardware. What about supply chain aspects too, especially right now, you know, for an organization, a, a, sm a smaller, you know, growth or startup company, you know, have you ran into any kind of supply chain related challenges and from building your product and sourcing parts and components? Yeah, so that's that's one thing uh, which I think we were very fortunate uh, uh, just being this part of the world. Supply chain was not really as impacted as it was in uh, in the other part of the world. Mm. Uh, so, and in our case, uh, we were uh, we also had a few options of our backup supply chain supply vendors in place. Uh, so, fortunately, we didn't uh, face the uh, issue of the supply chain, but in case if we had, we had backup options in place as well. Well, yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to ask too, you know, I mean, obviously Richard and I were over here and we talked to a lot of US-based companies and obviously, you know, when the pandemic hit and, you know, it just, it caused so many disruptions, but it's interesting to get your perspective, you know, being located in India and how you, you know, um, maybe not felt the impacts as, as much as we did over here. Um, but it's also great to hear how you had that diversity throughout your supply chain, um, which is so important um, and allows you to be nimble and dynamic. Uh, there's no doubt. So, you know, great points there. Um, and what about the competitive landscape of your technology? You know, we would imagine um, there could be other types of competitors that are bringing, you know, certain technologies to market. What does that, that, that treat uterine fibroids, what does that look like? Sure. Yeah, so absolutely. So when we look at the competitive uh, landscape here, that this traditional uh, 
surgical procedures, which is like the open surgery or the laparotomy. Then you have the minimally invasive procedures like the laparoscopy and the hysteroscopy. Is so that through the abdomen? Yeah. Laparoscopy. Okay. So there is an incision with those then, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and this is where companies like the Olympus, the Strikers, and traditional endoscopic surgical companies operate, and they have their own, uh, say, the cautery uh, uh, or energy systems in place. Sure. And this non-surgical solutions which are there, which are like uterine artery embolization, or there's something called MRI-guided focus ultrasound. So these are typically operated by an interventional radiologist. Uh, unfortunately, there are only few in number, um, uh, in uh, even in US as well. Uh, and generally, a patient who presents with uterine fibroids would go to a uh, gynecologist. Uh, you, you need to have a good referral system to an interventional radiologist to operate. Uh, unfortunately, it's really not well established. And the pre and the post surgery, uh, post the procedure needs to be taken by a gynecologist. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately, uh, the non-surgical solutions do not really address for a large number of patients. Uh, in, in the space we operate on using like heat energy, using imaging systems. So there are other couple of solutions, uh, but one of them again does an incision based, uh, which is again a laparoscopic route that is again for specific clinicians. So there's an, another a company as well who operates again using ultrasound based. But they use something called an intrauterine ultrasound, which means there's an ultrasound which goes into the cavity and treats it. But what we are trying to say is, uh, there's a, in all of the gynecologists, there's an ultrasound sitting in the gynecologist. Why not we make it smarter and so that you have a lesser uh, capital equipment in the, in the hospital and, and you know the device really well. You just use it same as it is and our software is smart enough to tell you where the fibroids are and the kind of the probe which you have developed is very similar to existing uh, existing solutions which are there so it's this least learning curve and you can use the device and you can reach to that exact location deliver the therapy so cool and it's great to hear that obviously supply chain issues haven't been a problem for you but can you now maybe touch on where you are on your, your product development journey? You know, what's currently happening and what's kind of been some of the recent success uh, you've been celebrating? Sure. Uh, so, uh, we, uh, so we have a device developed in two generations. The generation one device has already been, uh, say, developed. We have it regulatory cleared in India right now. We are an ISO 13485 company. So we are deploying these devices in few of the reputed hospitals in India right now uh, to get more efficacy data and feedback of that. Uh, but what's exciting is uh, as we are doing this on the generation one, we are developing our generation two device, uh, which is specifically designed for the US and the European market, uh, where uh, we already have like a, a pilot units uh, manufactured uh, and in fact, we uh, we are going through an incremental uh, regulatory approval as well. In fact, we already have filed our first 510K as well, uh, which is under currently under review. Uh, so what's exciting to us is uh, getting this Gen 2 device into the hands of US clinicians very soon. But that's something which we are really, really excited about. Very cool. And, and in terms of the clinical trials, where are you on that process? You know, you talked a little bit there about the, the regulatory pathway. 
Yeah, so we have done quite a bit of clinical work in India right now for our generation one device. Uh, we have already got it cleared. Uh, so uh, what we are doing right now is building up uh, uh, clinical efficacy data uh, on our generation one, uh, making sure that we follow up on the patients for a large, uh, large amount of time and to see that they're uh, recouping well after the procedure. So that's something which we are doing right now. So you're in human, right? You're using this in these clinical trials, I guess. Um, you know, it sounds like you're you're pretty close, though. I mean, to be in human, right? Uh, studies, you know, not not an animal anymore. You're that much close to FDA. What does that kind of FDA approval look like? And, and, and what are you trying to achieve? Is this PMA five ten K? And and when would that you know when might that come? Sure. Uh, so it's a fight and k uh, uh, fight fight and k pathway, uh, and we already had a couple of conversations with the FDA uh, through the pre-submission meeting. So we really understand what they are looking out for, uh, and uh, um, uh, NASA and FDA are aligned about what's the requirements to get through the fight and k clearance. Uh, so at this stage, uh, because we are really keen on looking at generation two device taking to the fight and k. Uh, clearance uh, at this stage because it, the uh, the Gen two is also under product development. The idea is to get the product development in place for the Gen two, mm -hmm. uh, and we are looking at as early as next year to start uh, building up the regulatory material to be starting to submit to uh, FDA. Interesting. So that sounds like a short term type of um, you know next step for the organization. Uh, will that require additional funding? Yes. Uh, so we are in the midst of a uh, uh, process of raising an additional funding. Uh, at this stage, uh, we have been, we have raised funds from HNIs, uh, family fund offices and clinicians who believe in our technology have invested in the company. Yeah, we are in the midst of raising another round. Is that going to be a series type of round or a, yeah. a seed round? Yeah, so that would be more like a pre-series round. Yeah, okay, great. And when are you trying to have that capital, uh, those financing raised by? Uh, so we have a majority of the pre-series uh, round already committed. So the great. idea is to be done about a few months from now. Well, it sounds like you're in uh, great shape then. That's uh, that's great to hear. Definitely, Kyle. I think, you know, it's great hearing Shrieker's story, how he's taken this inspiration and actually turning this into a true innovative products. Um, I'm sure along this journey, you've had many supporters, but I wondered if there's anyone who stands out who's helped you along the way. And, and of course, you've probably built a fantastic team supporting you as well. Right. I think it's really, really important to have a very well-rounded team uh, who keeps you grounded uh, when you really achieve uh, some really big milestones. And when you are also in trouble, they are the ones who will help you in picking up and saying that yeah, there are lots of things to be done. I think uh, I owe a lot of a uh, lot of credit to my well-rounded and a very experienced team. I think they they would be a very very important part of Nessa's journey. Superb. Team is yeah. everything. We know that, Richard. 
right? Oh, Takes yeah, a village, absolutely. there's no doubt. So those are great points, you know? And I guess kind of reflecting back, Shrikar, what's kind of some of, you know, advice or or learning experiences that you've had um, that, you know, others who are, are trying to bring new technologies, med tech to market, you know, what would what do you have to say to them? You know, what's that advice? What are those experiences? What would you recommend? Yeah, I, I think uh, I would definitely say um, you alone cannot do uh, all the things and you need to have a very strong, diversified team. Uh, so diversified team is not only on the technology side or what expertise they build, uh, bring to the table. It's also about the background which they uh, they bring to bring to the table as well. I think that's really really important. Mm. And I should say, medtech is hard. It's really really hard, and you need to have patience. Patience is really really critical. Patience and perseverance is really really important as part of the journey. Uh, I think that's something which uh, I would definitely say to any uh, uh, medtech entrepreneurs or who would want to take this journey i think it's really really important uh, and also keeping all the stakeholders in perspective i think i should definitely say as i started this journey i was more focused about yeah we are building a very great technology but over a period of time i realized technology is just one part of it um, having a good eye on the regulatory the payer would the hospitals really benefit from what you're doing and at the end of the day, patients, are they really looking forward to something for your solution? I think keeping that holistic aspect is really, really important. And it's clear that you're doing that. I mean, you've, you've touched on some of the milestones you've already achieved, but you know, what do the milestones look ahead in terms of like, what would you like to be in a year's time uh, in terms of those goals? Sure. Uh, so I think a couple of important things is as uh, we are uh, doing more clinical activities in India, the efficacy data, uh, doing it in large number of patients would be very important and starting to publish it uh, in reputed journals would be a very important milestone. And the other part is on the generation to device, um, getting all the facets of the product and the technology in place and starting to speak to the FDA on the submission process. I think that would be another important aspect. Superb, Kyle. Well, I'm confident Streaker's the man to lead on this, but I'm sure we're also wondering ourselves, like, what does that vision look in five years' time? What's the kind of the grand plan? Where would you like to be? Sure. Uh, I think uh, we are really, really excited on what we could uh, really uh, touch upon on the impact which we can create in women's health space. Uh, and the idea is to get this technology to as many clinicians as possible. Uh, and we strongly believe that though we are developing the technology from India, but this is a technology, we are developing it for the world. Uh, so we are really, really excited about taking this technology to all different geographies around the world and getting into the hands of clinicians. Wonderful, Shrikar. And and how do where do people go to learn more about NASA MedTech and your technology and 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 even about you? You know, where 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 can they find you? Sure. Uh, the best way to connect to me is through LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and to know more about the technology, we do have an active LinkedIn page, so you can find more about us there. And you can also reach out to us at info at nesamedtech.com, I-N-F-O at nesamedtech.com. 
uh, and we would be glad to uh, collaborate with any partners who are around uh, and be part of the journey of uh, transforming women's health. Wonderful. Well, Shrikar and, and Richard, what a, what a great discussion today. Um, amazing technology, just amazing leader, Shrikar, you are, and, and what you're doing in the women's health space and how you're treating women who are battling and suffering from uterine fibroids and improving lives and outcomes in those areas. Quite inspiring. So uh, we can't thank you enough for being on the show today and sharing your story and technology to the world. So thank you. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. It was a great conversation. And I must give due credit to the IMPACT program and the M222 uh, for being a torchbearer for us in this journey. Uh, and I really thank uh, the IMPACT program for this as well. Amazing. Thank you, Shrikar. Well, it's been truly inspirational for you to share your story. We thank you for your time. Mm -hmm. well, that's it for us, Kyle. So you want to wrap things up here? That was Shrikar Karamachu from Nessa MedTech. I'm Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikuljohn. And until next time, keep innovating.